We're moving on to chapters 7 and 8 of Ezra, as you've heard from Sarah. And this is the point in our story where the main man actually appears. We actually do encounter Ezra himself. Um, up till now, he hasn't been in his own story. And um, there's a clear title um, to these two chapters, 7 and 8, because no less than six times we read the phrase, yay, the hand of God. Now, I was absolutely determined not to mention football in my talk this morning because I've had enough of it. But obviously, when you Google the hand of God, what images fill your screen? Maradona, indeed. Well, let's forget Maradona. I prefer Michelangelo. And um, there's the Sistine Chapel, the hand of God. Um, so, we'll do a very quick recap so far, just so that we know exactly where we are. I'm confidently clicking this. Oh, okay. Right. First of all, the Babylonian king destroyed the temple back in the day and the city wall in Jerusalem. The Jews were taken into captivity and transported to Babylon. Fifty years later, fifty years later, the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians and the Jews come under new rule. As we've heard from the children, King Cyrus, called King Cyrus the Good, uh, sends a contingent of Jews back to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and that's been dealt with by Dave Perry and Andy in our last two talks. Um, over a period of 20 years, that first group rebuilt the altar and the temple. So that brings us up to date. We're at the beginning of chapter 7, and the situation now is that in Jerusalem... Enthusiasm has turned to disappointment and building has stopped. There's a spiritual apathy amongst those who resettled in the homeland. Meanwhile, in Babylon, there's a new king on the block. We've heard about Cyrus. Uh, we've moved through to one called now King Artaxerxes, which is really hard to say, so I've got to say it several times. He's the son of King Xerxes, and Bible scholars will know from the book of Esther that he famously played a part in saving the entire Jewish nation as a result of the faith and courage of Esther and her cousin Mordecai. So we haven't actually got time to read these um, two chapters. All my time really would disappear, even though it's shortish. Um, but chapter 7 begins the next stage in the story of the return of the Jews to Jerusalem and of out of their Babylonian exile. So, as we've heard from the children, here we have yet another Persian king following after Cyrus and Darius, who wants to return this captive people uh, to their spiritual home, Jerusalem, and ensure that the God of this Jewish people is properly honoured and worshipped again. He seemed to have no hesitation in selecting the leader of the next wave to go back to Jerusalem. Um, it was a man he could trust to do the job and to do the job well, Ezra. Ezra is a direct descendant of Aaron, um, is described as a man devoted to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. And as you heard, he wasn't a great leader, but he was an honest man. And he was a man of integrity, and I think that's a really, really important word, and it'll be quite key to what I say today. So, I've really just got three things to draw out of this passage of Scripture. Um, first, as we see that yet another Persian king seems determined to help restore and revive this nation... And here's the message that the children gave in their video. It's going to come, I promise you. Uh -huh. 
Okay, this, these were going to come up one at a time, but they've come up <laughs> without my animations. But uh, the, the message is, top left-hand corner, help can come from unexpected people. And I've just put three examples of uh, modern-day examples of help coming from an unexpected quarter. Um, you see that first one on the left. This was soon after the death of George Floyd. And you remember there was that big rally in London. And these two guys, they are on polar opposite sides of a really fierce uh, rally. Um, uh, but when one guy was in trouble, look who it was who helped him. It's a powerful picture. Uh, the one top right, this is the Olympic Games, uh, for which athletes prepare for years. They have punishing schedules. Uh, they really push hard for this one moment on the track when they can prove themselves and have a chance of winning gold. But this is what happened when an athlete from the United States was in trouble and fell over. The New Zealand athlete stopped and gave her a hand. Uh, gave up her chance, but it was an instinct and it was a good one. And then it always moves me in the, the, the sepia one. It always moves me when you see some of the camaraderie that could happen in World War II. And there you see uh, a British soldier... Um, helping a German soldier. Actually, I think he's giving him a light for his cigarette, but help comes in all sorts of ways. So, <clears throat> the Persian king, who was master of a huge empire, uh, wanted to help the Jewish people revive their faith and restore their temple. It wasn't his faith at all, uh, but somehow God put on his heart to help his chosen people. And Artaxerxes became a key part of this great story. We need to be open to people who we might not think are going to be on our side. Yay, it's coming up one at a time now. Uh, the Jews in exile, this is the, the next point, and this is right a, a sort of overall observation that always moves me. The Jews in exile managed to keep hold of their identity. When the call came, they were ready. And this is the scene famously from Psalm 137, and we all know Boney M. Um, when it describes their despair in a strange land. Um, but they sang their songs. Together, they endured it. And uh, whilst we hear that some diluted their faith by assimilating with the culture around them, uh, you remember Andy's talk last week about those who'd returned to Jerusalem uh, with Zerubbabel and the emergence of the Samaritans who'd weakened their faith and weren't strongly there. Most didn't. And in fact, uh, the list of people at the beginning of chapter 8 who went with Ezra to the promised land, to um, Jerusalem. It is a real pedigree list. He picked people who were pure in their, in their lineage. He, he wasn't going to have any of this intermarrying and this watering down of the Jewish faith. And we've seen over the centuries that despite this exile, and more importantly, the long dispersal to countries all over the world, when uh, the Jewish homeland seemed lost forever, they remained a people how did they do that? Can we learn from that in our current situation? How, when the land of Israel was restored to them, did they manage to still be a nation ready for the move? Well, back in, 19, back in 1989, the Dalai Lama, before he was overthrown, asked to meet with the leaders of four main branches of Judaism. And the question, his question to them was simple. He simply said... What is the secret technique of your survival as a people? How did you keep such a strong identity? And their simple answer was that the Jewish family 
kept the covenant and the Torah alive. They were disciplined in remembering, in observing, in teaching and in reading. And it has been amazing. They refused to allow their faith to disappear amongst the cultures and religions of the nations that housed them. And we see that again in Babylon as well. And you know, I applaud the leaders of our church, of Hope Church, because we have to a certain extent, as we've heard, been in our own exile. Uh, But from the moment we went into lockdown in March last year, they leapt into action to enable us to keep our traditions, to keep praying together, singing together, talking together, hearing sermons and being fed. Almost without a gap, there was no break. We were fed as a church and we were kept together as a people in whatever way our leaders could do it. And I think that's great. And it would have been easy to sit back and take a break and take a holiday. Um, Maybe some people did, but most have remained stuck in. Uh, We are a people, we are a church family. And our exile into the virtual world hasn't changed that. Uh, The onus is now on all of us to get back and rebuild the church going forward in whatever way God leads us. And that brings me back to the hand of God. Ezra had the hand of God on him because he was true to the faith and to God's teaching. And as I said, Andy warned us uh, last week about assimilation. He said, we're not in a Christian society, we're in a Christianized society. Uh, Many of the popular ideals today originated uh, in the first place from our deeply entrenched Judeo-Christian ethos that has been with us for centuries But over the years, it has become skewed and it has become corrupted. And if we allow ourselves to become part of that skewed culture, uh, we are in real danger, not only of watering down God's moral law, but actually turning it on its head. And Isaiah saw this coming. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, I have seen what is good called evil and what is evil called good. And today, there are many of the trendy principles that are being dressed up as good and godly and it is becoming quite skewed and it's going to be a hard task to maintain the purity of our faith and our beliefs in light of modern day culture. And I've got no time to go there and I've spoken on this many times in the past but I tell you it's more difficult now to speak about it. Uh, There's a very real danger in this present age when many are determined to silence the truth with really winning arguments that seem so attractive, um, but we no longer have free speech in our country. But Ezra did not have that attitude of compromise. Uh, God wouldn't have chosen him uh, for the great task if he'd had that attitude, if he'd he'd said, uh, I'm I'm in Babylon now, so let's include a bit of Babylonian thinking and ideology into our Jewish ethos. He didn't do that, not at all. And you might have thought that that kind of attitude would would have caught the attention of the king and got him noticed and respected by those foreign rulers. But actually, it was exactly the opposite. It was the very opposite reason that he was noticed, respected, and chosen by Artaxerxes for the task of rescuing and restoring the Jewish faith and nation. Because Ezra was a man of integrity. And we must be a people of integrity. I love that word. We saw integrity in Joseph. We saw integrity in Daniel. We see it in various Bible leaders. And people who have nothing to do with our faith can spot integrity. They might not agree with us, might not believe what we believe, but they love to see integrity in our faith.
And if we're to have God's hand upon us, uh, then our faith has to be in him day in, day out. Pre-COVID, COVID, post-COVID. We mustn't let that change. We really, really mustn't. And in my small experience, uh, sometimes that hand of God can be almost tangible. I want that tangible uh, pressure of God's hand on my shoulder. And just on some occasions, I've really felt that. That's what we need. Um, It's like God saying, go on, you're doing my will. Um, And just give you a couple of examples, which as we're not being broadcast, I can bring to you as it's just us in this room. But just in this last uh, couple of weeks, I've been in a really, really difficult appeal hearing. Um, I won't give you the details, but basically um, I've been on a side of the fence that is fighting against uh, wealthy people and uh, it's like a, a court hearing. And the QC, who was, shall I say, the opposition, was a really bully, bullying man. He was vicious. I think he thought he was in a murder hearing and trying to weed out who's done a terrible thing. Uh, he was really, really mean. And I'm sitting there in my study because it's virtual. Normally it would be in the flesh. Feeling actually quite lonely, you know, when you're being hammered by somebody who's really clever. Uh, And then again, just a few weeks before that, I was in a parish council meeting for the first time, one of the new villages that's been incorporated into my ward. Again, it had to be virtual, so I was sitting there on my own. And it seemed like half the village turned out to have a go at all the things they didn't like. You know, they they just had all their axes to grind. And uh, I was the scapegoat. But you know, in situations like that, that's when I feel the hand of God on me. Because I can say... I'm only here, God, because you put me here. You gave me that conviction, but you also gave me prophecies. Uh, Prophecy from David Robotham here. Really meaningful prophecies that have sustained me over the years and given me courage. Uh, We've got good prophets in our church, and we need to stir it up again. Because those sort of things really keep you going. And so I do feel the hand of God on me, and I kind of think, God, if you're with me, if you've put me here, Why should I fear these people? Why should I feel anything but confident in what I'm doing? So we need God's hand on us. And uh, we we can carry on as a fine church, doing what we do, serving the needy people that we serve, doing our projects, making ourselves attractive to one and all. Um, But will God's hand be on us? We must be so careful that we don't become numb to his hand on our shoulder. If we don't continue to seek his guidance... Uh, uh, we've got to have the courage and determination to hear it and to follow it. Will we make sure that we have the hand of God on us as we go forward into this next chapter, which is clearly beginning to open up before us? And just in closing, what could that hand of God look like? How will he ensure that we're true to the purity of our faith, to our deep-held principles prescribed in the scriptures and yet be relevant in the 21st century? This is the time-honoured thing. So just in closing, I just want to bring this example to you. Um, Just in the last two, about three days ago, I was invited to go to St. Leonard's Church in Oakley to talk with the vicar and one or two people. Um, They want to become become a church for our time. That's their phrase. Uh, Now, they've got this old church that you see there. It's a beautiful church in Oakley. It's a grade one listed building. Um, But... It is just a big square stone place and it has nothing else. Um, There there is an old medieval font but that was covered with a sound table. The plastic chairs line the edge. There's an old organ that's never played. 
The pews are of poor quality, and of course being pews, that means that all you can do in the church is sit and listen to people in a row. And if you want, this is most important, if you want to go to the loo, you have to plough your way through the graveyard at the front of the church, over the road, and onto St Leonard's Centre. And the vicars and others have devised a plan to build a modern annex on the side that you see there, on the right-hand side of the old building. And that will lead to the main body of the church of the building. And it will, it will have things like kitchen, a toilet, it'll have a, a nice airy entrance, and it'll be really nice space to be in. But then, as it leads into the main body of the church, that will also be adjusted. The pews and the organ will go. Everything will be cleaned and made good. The ancient font will be given a place because there's a symbol there. It's a medieval font. That will be given a place. But the space, uh, the pews will go, so the space will be fit for all kinds of uses. Um, But the fundamental grade one listed historic building will be retained and enhanced. And I think it's going to be great if they manage to get it through planning, and I'll do my best. Um, it's not just because the new, building will bring, the new building will bring the church into the 21st century, but more importantly, it's because it will preserve the old building, which in time would have become redundant as the congregation choose to meet and worship in a more suitable place, and they did look to rebuild in another place altogether. The new preserves the old You enter the old building with all its history and traditions through a new entrance that makes the old building relevant and usable. So I wonder if this might be a picture for us as we adhere to God's ways, to the teaching of Jesus amidst all the clamour around us to adapt to modern ideals. We can nevertheless be open to change, change that makes us relevant in the 21st century and yet, like this annex, ushers people in to the purity of our faith, the true faith. So let's go on to this next chapter of our church life, maintaining the purity of that faith, whilst keeping open to whatever new things God has for us. And maybe it'll be via people who we never expected to help us, just as in Ezra. But new things there have to be, and we pray God that his hand will be on us throughout. Amen. Amen.